back to another edition of the Para Podcast. This week we review all the week three action in the top grades, uh, plus have a look at uh, the round six action in no, sorry, round seven action in the junior reps. Um, but first, we'll jump into some news. So. First of all is the injury list, which has added a couple of names to it this week. Uh, with Jared Hayne out until round nine with that um, hip flexor slash quad. Kane Evans with a rib injury. We'll see him on the sideline until round six. Bevan French with a shoulder injury, which will see him on the sideline until round six as well. Then Greg Lalesiwau has picked up an ankle injury. I think it's a reoccurrence of that ankle injury he carried from the preseason. We'll be back round seven. And then, of course, the last couple have been on the, the injury list for a while in Jamin, Sam, Jamin Salmon, Clint Gutherson, and Brad Takarangi. So, boys, not a good night against the Sharks in terms of injuries and, and I guess, the scoreline. Yeah, the you really sort of added injury to the insult of a loss, didn't you? As as versus adding insult to the injury, um, that that was really a worst case outcome. Uh, Jared a month and then two weeks piece for Evans and French, so it means that there's a you know an opportunity for a few boys to step up uh, this week. But geez, that, that's a rough way to have the your third loss in a row end up. Yeah, the Hayne injury is just uh, bizarre. You know, you do it from a kickoff. You know, like out of all <laughs> things, you know, like and then Kane Evans. This could be. His injury, I reckon, it's because his whole career's been on the bench, so he's been, you know, he's avoided the the hard hits, you know. Like, so I reckon, all those years sitting on the bench, you know, his body's not probably can't handle, you know, the rise and grind of starting each week. So, yeah, it's just my theory on it. We'll touch on Kane, but of course, uh, maybe having him out of the team at the moment while he's um not exactly performing won't be the worst thing. Um, yeah, I was about to say that might actually be a blessing in disguise for Kane. It felt like he was a little bit inside his own head. I don't know if you guys saw some of the news articles that were coming out, but I think he had an interview after the Penrith game, and he sort of talked about how he sort of psyched himself out of that game. And then the week after, he also, you know, was in the papers again, sort of talking about his mental state and trying to get, you know, not let the team down and not let himself down. So hopefully a few weeks out sort of lets him settle himself mentally and come back ready to, you know, sort of streamline his game and, and really sort of knuckle down and run the ball hard. Then the injuries to Hayne and French sort of test out our outside depth back. Like yeah. Um, we do have uh, George Jennings there, but, you know, especially with Gutherson already out and then Greg picking up his ankle injury, it's, um, yeah, really testing out. I, I, think, I think the bigger issue contextually is that you've had a, a challenging run of depth at the fullback position that's coincided with, uh, we don't know exactly what's the issue, but Cameron King has now dropped out of the, the team for this week, which means the player that would be, you know, sort of deputising both those positions and Will Smith can't play the one and the nine at the same time. So we've sort of been left in a little bit of a pickle. And then um, I think if he wants to, I don't think he'll ever feel state fullback once the other three come back, but um, hopefully Will Smith picks up his uh, bomb defusing abilities because dropping that one uh, early in the second half, that was not good, especially after we started seemingly well. Oh, he ended, he ended up with two drops off kicks, didn't he? But that one I know you're talking about down in the left corner, I think it was, was a real bad one. 
All right, well, we'll touch on those in the preview pod. Um, so moving on to the next bit of news is, of course, Manly Sea Eagles uh, being found guilty of a five-year roar of the salary cap. It should be noticed that it was half as much of what the Eels did, so $1.5 million over five years. Um, Manly have come out and said they're going to appeal it and whatever else, but I think that's all a bit of a, uh, you know, blowing hot air out. Um, now, it should be noted that they haven't been docked points, and the reason being is whilst they've added those third-party agreements from previous years onto this year's cap, they still... Um, have managed to fall under the full amount of the cap this season. Um, the reason being they've got some some blokes on, um, from what I understand, back-ended deals, uh, so they're not chewing up as much cap this year. Um, but the second, they got rid of Blake Green um, and haven't actually replaced him, so they've got uh, a fair bit of cap room in which those fines will be added onto their cap this season. Um, so I guess Eels fans can feel a bit of heartache, but there is a reason behind it all. Um, Whilst we um, cheated, we did have those uh, third parties added to our cap, and of course we're over. That's that's what confuses me is that Manly was saved the point sanction because they were salary cap compliant in 2018. But if I recall correctly, the the issue of Parramatta was that due to the the consistent breaches from 2013 onwards under Spaniolo and then Sharp that led to uh, the current situation of the the, well, the then current situation of the cap investigation, the NRL decided to roll the dodgy TPAs into the 2016 cap. From what I well, understand, they mid- have been rolled that... from Manly's cap, but there was uh, sufficient room to make sure they didn't go over. Well, looking, I'm just looking at the timeline here, and it says that we'll report to be $500,000 over as of the 3rd of May. So, I mean, it, it depends on how you, you sort of want to argue the semantics of cap compliant given that we had Anthony Watmo miss the entire season due to an injury. Yeah, I guess you could argue that. Career ending. But yeah, it, it sort of, it does leave a little bit of a bit of taste in the mouth. I'm not asking for Manly to have, you know, copped the 12 point, uh, point deduction, but I feel like precedent set in the Parramatta circumstances where the NRL made it clear that that was meant to be the line in the sand sort of issue. Uh, they've sort of backtracked from there immediately. And, I mean, it's just the sort of inconsistent behaviour you sort of come to expect. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the outcome. And if we're talking about precedents with the NRL, I suppose, um, suggest to the manly officials and everything, don't fight it. You won't win. Yeah. Greenberg's judge, jury and executioner, um, he's going to look after himself. So don't fight it. Just cop it on the chin. You won't have to pay the extra 250000 which has been suspended and you'll come off a lot better than what you will if you do fight it and you do lose and you will pay that $1 million fine. So, if I get this correct, they cheated the cap, but they were still under the cap. Is that right? In 2018, they're under the cap. Yeah, but they cheated the cap from... For five years. Five years, so 2012 to 2007. Which, Which then brings you to the point that if two of the most mediocre squads in that time period in Parramatta and Manly who mainly just come off their golden run and sort of slipped into mediocrity, whereas Parramatta were cellar dwellers that were sort of trying to claw their way up. If two of the worst squads consistently in the NRL were found to be systematically rorting the cap, what's that say about the top end of the competition? Like, well, I think uh, it, it speaks are... volumes without saying anything. Well, I think in Manly's situation, it was um, third-party agreements which uh, weren't exactly uh, uh, categorised properly, so that they'd been... Um, I think Bob Fulton's been sort of had had his name thrown about to be organising all those agreements on behalf of the the players, so they weren't at arm's length. 
that is the other issue here as well that I probably should mention is that the whole Andrew G situation that happened with Bob Fulton where because he walked away from Manly while they were in the middle of the investigation, the NRL are powerless to do anything to him, mm. which is absolutely hilarious. And same thing with Broncos a few years ago with Andrew G when there was a, a missing sort of $400,000 trying to be accounted for in the salary cap and Andrew G suddenly quit and the, the NRL pretty much said, well, we can't do anything anymore. Well, yeah, so, he's not part. He's he's not governed by the rules because he's not an employee. He doesn't. Yeah, come under I, the I I understand that, but the fact that the entire cap investigation was dropped against Brisbane because of that was kind of farcical. Well, they still got penalised. Plus, no like phones or computers were taken. Well, us and Manly, the whole everything was taken. You know, like I, I think it's literally it's up to Arca and Arrow just decides. You know what? Let's go easy on these guys. Let's punish these guys because we know Parramatta, we can punish them and their fans will turn up no matter what if they're, you know, like, I just, I think we get we get mistreated a lot because they know we're a law bunch of fans no matter what, we'll stick by them, you know. And... But not, not even playing to, like, an, any sort of anti-bias, anti-Parramatta um, um, sentiment, the fact remains that the NRL have yet to discover a systematic broughting uh, of the salary cap on their own efforts. It's yeah. been, it's been either a, a uh, bitter ex-employee or some sort of whistleblower every time where it was the Canterbury Bulldogs, the Melbourne Storm, Parramatta or Manly. And that sort of speaks towards the whole concept of the NRL trying to uh, work that th- there's an illusion of parity in the competition, if anything, and they're not actually actively trying to maintain the salary cap. Well, I don't think because the salary if, caps like, to... to like might, They might say it's to try get uh, parity in the... Uh, no, the competition, but it's to stop clubs from going broke. Um, broke, that's right. But the uh, they try and sell it as the the illusion of parity, and that's why it's the most even sporting competition in the world. Which, on a results basis, it is one of the more even competitions in the world. But it is frustrating when we haven't we're having these systematic rorts of the cap, including our own club, and the NRL have done nothing on an investigative basis to be on the front foot for it. All right, well, let's move on to some positive news, which is uh, <laughs> the women's uh, inaugural holding, hey. uh, women's premiership will commence in 2018. Um, now, there's four clubs competing, which is Broncos, St. George Dragons, Sydney Roosters, and New Zealand Warriors. Just before coming onto the pod, um, it's been a bit of a bone for everybody today that the Sharks don't have a squad in this premiership, considering they uh, supply most of the Gillaroos with their players and um, a lot of those girls are contract... Uh, sorry, a lot of those women are contracted to the Sharks. Yeah, it just... Um, you said positive news. It is positive news for the growth of the game, especially amongst uh, women. But I, I don't understand how you, can, how you can't involve the Sharks. They've just been on the front foot in regards to this sort of stuff. And they've signed the players, they've gone out and done the, heart, done the leg yeah. work. And all of a sudden, oh, you're not allowed in because you take up the geographical area of other teams, or other teams take up the geographical area of your base. Well, you'd you'd think they'd be building around the shots. Around. Why, yeah. why do the dragons have to be there? Why do the roosters have to be there? Why, I, I, I haven't really taken notice. The only reason I'm taking notice about the sharks is because they're constantly in the media about it, which is a great thing. But what have, what have the roosters done? What have the dragons done that all of a sudden the, dra- the sharks get the back seat here, meanwhile they get the front seat. If anything, the Sharks should have been the first team put into this competition, and then worry about what areas overlap then, from their from their perspective. Yeah, it is kind of hard to fathom that Cronulla are not a foundation club 
for the women's competition. Uh, like for everything you just said, they've they've supplied the bulk of the the cream talent for uh, New South Wales and Australia in their um, various uh, series in recent years at the Auckland Nines and, and across that. They also hosted one of the first uh, senior competitions for women, I think, on a domestic basis out of um, Shark Park or Southern Cross, whatever it's called these days. Uh, it, it's, yeah, really mind-boggling that Cronulla were left out and sort of told, well, it's too bad because St. George and the Roosters overlap in your area and, you know, you're the ones that have to miss out. I, they should have been the sort of marquee club or, or premier club that you're building around because they're the ones that have done all the groundwork. If I'm not mistaken, they're coming first in the uh, New South Wales Rugby League Tasha Gales competition. Yeah, from, from, from the grassroots up, they are the most dominant uh, presence in women uh, female rugby league. And yet... killing it. So I, I, I don't understand this decision about leaving the Sharks out. I, there's, I don't think there's any words to describe it. And um, Again, we'd see a lack of um, leadership from Todd Greenberg. Maybe the NRL know that the Dragons, not the Dragons, the Sharks are already, they already have a team. They already got, you know, a club. They're already established. While these four other clubs, they're not as established as them, so they're going to give them time to grow before they throw in the Sharks, who are pretty much a day one prospect to win the comp. That's that's pretty... But you, you, don't, you don't set the bar low to raise competition. You set the bar high and ask that the competition comes up to that level. Everybody else up, like, there's no reason why. The Sharks have gone out and done the legwork, but they they could just say, look, we're going to give um, these teams that have put in a bid and they've won, they've been successful, we'll give them a little bit of money to start off and try and boost themselves up rather than, oh, no, we'll start everyone really low and then bring them in. All right, well, let's move on to our match reviews. Starting with first grade, I think that worked quite well last week when we started off with first grade and then moved down. So, 4 to 14, one try to other R, and then Chad Townsend pulling up the other 14 points for the Sharks. Um, just going through some key stats, possession was 40% to 60% yeah. in favour of Lots the Sharks. Um, our completion rates weren't too bad at 75%. Usually we like them above 80, but 75 isn't the worst, considering it's only round 3. Um, run meters, we were uh, 1,200 to Sharks, 1,600. Um, line breaks, one all. Uh, offloads, which is going to be a bone for our um, attack, 3 to 10. And then kick meters was pretty similar, uh, 611 meters to 617. But we made an extra 100 tackles and then an extra 8 missed tackles with a total of 32. Um, in regards to discipline, 9 errors to Sharks, 7. And then the big bone for everybody was penalties uh, in the first half, having five to the Sharks to our none. And then it evened up in the end in that uh, we conceded nine and the Sharks conceded six. So a total of five to six in the second half. So takeaways, boys. It's it's always frustrating when one team has, quote-unquote, perfect discipline in a half of football. Um, and that was really frustrating. I know we had a lot of issues in attack and go forward for Parramatta, but watching Cronulla get piggybacked down the field uh, three or four times that half to sort of get in great position and get points really, really rustled me. But they, they played really good, solid football in the rain. We defended really well in the rain, but, geez, we, we had some issues in attack, like some real issues in attack. Yeah, I've got no problems with the penalties we give away because every team's going to give away penalties. It's more that... Um, not caught evenly. The opposition don't give away penalties. That's, and, you, and you see it um, 
this was more the second half, but I was sitting right on the trial and the Sharks were defending. And I thought there was supposed to be... Um, I, every, every team does it, don't get me wrong. Every team's offside on their goal line. But if we're going to be talking about consistency with a play the ball, there has to be consistency with an offside rule. And the Sharks' right-hand side attack were nearly shaking hands with our first receiver when they were getting the ball um, when we were 10 metres out. So, <coughs> excuse me, um, I, it's just consistency. Every team gives away penalties. It just depends when the ref wants to blow them. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to talk too much about it because it'll seem like I am... It, it, yeah, it does seem like a cop-out that you blame the officiating, but there were some really poor standards there on Saturday. I think we were lucky in one sense that we sort of dodged the second try in the second half to, was it uh, Townsend or the um, the hooker Brayley, where there was a deflected kick. Yeah, that's right, and it was offside. But prior to that uh, offside no try, in the first half there was an offside that led to a uh, directly to a penalty goal that was missed, and an offside that led directly to a line dropout that was missed. Off two off, all off grubber kicks, all three of them. So we got one in the second half, but missed two in the sort of crucial exchanges there. And once again, that doesn't excuse the, the issues that we had in attack and our own discipline, which slipped at times. But, geez, it's frustrating when some really obvious stuff like that gets missed. And can I just touch on the, the officiating? So 15 penalties in all. Um, where I guess the the average this season has been 20 plus, um, so I don't know what you guys saw, but to my eye, it seemed that the um, the the whistle was certainly um, in the back pocket, and those what they've been enforcing in the first couple of weeks, which is playing the ball with a foot, keeping the 10, and not holding down in the ruck, sort of went out the window a little bit. Um, I thought it was a short 10, um, and both teams were allowed an age in the ruck, and that's I think uh, led to the low scoring match and only one try being scored apiece. Uh, both teams look pretty terrible in attack, but that's because the the ten meter was so short in each other's opposition uh, red zones. Yeah, well, that, that's the thing. I think um, if they're going to officiate games like that, there won't be many tries scored because you do have a short ten. The player has to play the ball with the foot now, which slows the play of the ball down. They're not just allowed to quickly roll it back. And defences, if they're offside, they will be able to rush up quicker. So it will promote um, penalty goals and um, sort of less play, which, you know, I, I don't want to see that. I, I don't want to become Union and kicking three penalty well, goals to win a match, and then was, kicking four penalty goals to win a match. It was four penalty goals for Chad Towns in that game. Eight points off the penalty shots that but took I them. I don't want us to be seeing become Union, because that's what we split away from back in the early 1900s. Um, we don't need to be that. We don't... Our game is supposed to be about attacking play. That's why there's only 13 players on the field. And now if they're going to have a short 10, allow players to be offside, allow them to hold down in the ruck and make the player play the ball with their foot, it's going to cause um, less exciting play, I believe. So I'm not going to comment on the referees because it's like bashing your head up against a brick wall. You know, um, I would say I made a comment right after the game in the Discord saying, you know, we lack energy. I take it back because I watched the replay and we did show energy and you know, in in defence, that was, yeah, wasn't exactly. it, Bertie, you're saying? So I, the reason I said that comment is because during the game, I'm an emotional wreck. You know, I'm swearing at the TV, <laughs> I'm swearing at my brother, I'm cheering for the boys. So, you know, future lessons, probably have to watch a replay before I comment, but... That's... 
that's actually a really good point is that oftentimes as a fan a second viewing of the game is really an eye-opening experience there's a lot of stuff that you will miss or overlook or misjudge on emotional highs or lows during a game that when you go back and and sort of have a second viewing at and sort of watch it calmly and with that extra time and patience you'll notice a lot of um nuances and, and things to the game that you missed on first viewing so just on that, um, our defensive application, of course, was uh, significantly better than against the second half against Panthers and, of course, uh, against the Manly game. I think we just need to blot out the Manly game as just... Um, it was, It is what it was, and um, we've moved on from that. Um, well, as I, a, I was going to say, as a frame of reference for that Manly game, they got came out and got whooped by South Sydney. So that shows you how poor we played as opposed to how well Manly put us away. So that, like you said, Hamish, that's a game that you want to be erasing. But with, uh, but stop. with um, I want to ask boys, a, I want to ask a question, right? Forget the results. What's happened in the first three rounds, right? Do you think because we've only had one trial that eighty minutes of football is enough to prepare you for a season of preseason football? Uh, evidently, I don't think it is because this. Oh, sorry, but I cut you off there. Yeah, no, I'm just saying. Forget the results, you know. Yeah, the two teams that didn't have more than one trial who only had the one trial, are Raiders and ourselves. And um, maybe coincidentally, but they're the two teams without wins. And Raiders in different circumstances to us. Um, but, you know, read into that what you want, whether you see it's causation or correlation. Yeah, scientifically, I'm going to tell you outright that the sample size is far too small to make that decision. But anecdotally, I, I absolutely feel that the one, um, the one trial probably has hurt us. But the flip side of that is that you've got a three or four month preseason that you're working towards round one, regardless of any trial games that you play. So you should still be fit, even if it's not uh, you know perfectly match fit. So I, I think issues for us, I mean, you wouldn't have known that the one trial was hurting us 30 minutes into the Penrith game. And then, you know, we sort of just dropped our bundle. That one, a Blake try rocked us because we were, you know, uh, sort of checked out before half time and it all became a, a massive downhill slide from there for the next three halves of football before the Cronulla game where we sort of finally rediscovered our defensive grit even though we didn't it has more to do with attitude rather than match fitness um, we see in the second half of the Penrith game we just seemed to want to play fancy whereas we weren't playing tough where that's how we got 14 points in front um, man the game we just didn't play tough at all and then all of a sudden round three uh, we decided to muscle up again, and there was a big play from Timmy Manor, I think just before he went off, and uh, he raced out of the line and put a huge shot, I think, yeah. on Fafita or Gallon or someone. It was one of those two for sure. Yeah, yeah and then um, the next very next play, Brownie does exactly the same thing. So uh, it was obviously an attitude issue that we had in those in those first in those three halves of football, and then. Um, yeah, so I think uh, once we get the defensive intensity down and the way we want to play in defence, um, historically that's where I believe Parramatta have worked off from their attack. Like everyone talks about the 2009 run and how fantastic our defence was, how sorry, how fant- fantastic our attack was. Mm. But it wasn't until we got our defence right that we that's started right. playing like that and started playing with confidence. And I think. Um, that is sort of the difference between attack and defence is defence is an attitude and you need yeah. an attitude to be right but attack is confidence if you're not confident in what you're doing or confident in your defence to back up your mistakes you might make an attack then you won't be able to play with the ball and that's what happened on um, uh, Saturday night I believe that we weren't confident after the Manly game 
but our attitude was in the right spot. That's that is almost exactly word for word what I was going to say in that you can make that distinction between attack and defense where the defensive side of the ball is all about attitude and application and the offensive side is as much confidence and you know, almost trust in the man um, being in the right place, you know, in the right timing. And we saw that was out of sync. We went for that, that sort of trick shot play that's worked twice for us, once against the Titans and once against Melbourne in a, a week one of the finals between Moses and Will Smith. And they were just miles away from each other. On that, and that just on that, Will Smith pass. obviously wasn't going to be playing fullback at the beginning of the, the, the match, so that's probably a possibility of why that didn't pay off. So it should be said, we're down to 15 men, uh, two on the bench with, of course, Evans going out with uh, a with his injury to his ribs at the, about the 20-minute mark, and then, of course, Hayne doing his... Uh, off the first kickoff. Oh, that's God. right, off the kickoff. And obviously, he had to limp off at about the 30-minute mark. So, big changes. That's probably one of the... Re- so, we're not making excuses, but providing reasons to why um, they possibly didn't click into a... Ca- atta- sorry. Possibly didn't click in attack, uh, which is one, confidence. Uh, two, uh, roster changes. Uh, should be noted as well that Jennings went back to that right edge. Um, of course, Moroa starting there with Takarangi out. And then French also playing on the right with Hayne shifting to fullback. That's a big uh, change. And I thought that really tightened up that right side defence with Maroa and Kenny, um, plus Jennings on that right edge. Yeah, it was it was Tep's weakest game on the offensive side of the ball, I think. He had two pretty good games against Penrith and Manly in a horribly defeated outfit in round two. He was probably our best attacking player. But he was very good defensively. And Kenny was a really welcome sight back in the team. He played some. He didn't get much service from Mitch Moses, who was having a, a bit of a bludger of a game. But he uh, he made a lot of um, nice post-contact meters and sort of poked his nose between the two defenders more than once or twice. And I, I thought that Manu Mahu probably had his best outing in a little bit. He um, much like Kenny, he didn't get much help from Corey on the left edge, but he sort of held himself at the line and was starting to get a little bit of that sort of semi-penetration between the two defenders. All right, well, we'll we'll come to our last thoughts after we review the other game. So, uh, on to ISP, Wenty, 16, Knights, 24. Um, So, try scorers are Tuamata, Jennings, and Gorman. Uh, The half-time score was 10 to 6, and I understand that Wenty led 16. Was it 16 to 6 or or something like that at at the back end of the game? Newcastle scored three quick tries. To... To finish it off. So again, touching on that, uh, I think you boys raised the um, the issue with the halves pairing and and what that has on Wenty. Yeah, um, I was down there, and, and even look, looking at the game and looking at the stats afterwards, um, Wenty dominated possession, sixty percent to forty percent. Um, we flogged them in the running meters by nearly nearly four hundred meters um, difference, and. Yeah, it was just the, the last play option where it, where we just needed to put a grubber in. It was going out to Neocore, who had to run the ball. It was going out to Okafor, who had to run the ball. Um, and a, but also in those sets where we don't get uh, much meters, where we didn't get many meters gained, there was no uh, pinpoint kicking. And that's where I believe that Bo Henry would come into it. Um, I think Arana Tomata, uh, his first game for the, for the team... He started off a bit slow, sort of all over the shop at the start, but then as, as the game went on, he started to grow a bit more, and he actually looked good as a half, but he's not one of the halves that will do. He won't um, he won't 
work towards uh, a place on the field. He won't work towards a fifth tackle set. He'll just sort of play exactly what's in front of him. And when you don't need that, especially with that first grade talent that they had and all the um, backup talent they have, um, I thought uh, the forwards had a really good game. They, uh, most of them, a lot of them made over 100 metres, especially the first grade uh, squad. So, um, yeah, it was just, just disappointing that they let in three tries at the end, and I, I believe that was because um, they weren't getting those repeat sets or making Newcastle work out from deep inside their own end when they needed them to. And on to the Jersey flag, which uh, ended up 22 to the Knights, 14 to the Eels. Uh, try scorers were Parry Brown and Kepi Brown, one from three. Um, were you boys in attendance for that one? I'm for that one. Um, just quickly before we go on to the Jersey flag, I just want to give a big shout out to New South Wales Rugby League for their stats on the uh, ISP. It's absolutely unlike you've got. You, it, all it is is going to the stats, amazing thing. And you've got meters gained, tackles, missed tackles, dummy half runs. Um, they've even got play the ball speeds. Post contact meters you get. Um, even what penalties are for. How many penalties they've given away and what they were for. It's absolutely amazing stats, and we don't get that from the first grade team, but it's amazing that we do for a reserve grade competition. And it's absolutely outstanding. Well done by the South Wales Rugby League. We still don't have individual stats for players in the NRL at the moment, don't we? Their match centre's very bare bones. Uh, they've started bringing it in for fantasy, but you have to do it on the website. It's still not available with the app, um, and that's their issue with going through a new provider for that. I know it's with Telstra, but I think it's the back provider um, with Telstra. So, yeah, obviously not good enough for the NRL if you've got New South Wales um, able to get it right. Yeah, and they're doing an absolutely fantastic job at it. So good on them. I hope you hope all of a sudden and hopefully um, it filters down to the Jersey flag with their stats um, so yeah this game the Jersey flag uh, what happened we scored Dylan, Dylan Brown, Brown on main strike yeah um, if you want to see a good classic halfback try he breaks the line with breaking off two defenders and then um, burns past the fullback I don't know how a halfback in this day and age can burn past the fullback but he did, so um, he was. He had a good game. Um, this game, I, I just think Newcastle were just the better side overall. There was no sort of uh, one area in particular that I thought we lost out. Uh, the only place that I could think of was uh, we were missing Oregon. I think maybe experience uh, hurt us. A bit of missing experience in Celeste Fainga, um, Steve Dressler. Um, there's a few others. Uh, not Tyrone Faulkner, um, Mitch Butfield. I'm just thinking if those uh, more experienced players were in the team, it would have definitely, it probably would have changed the result. But um, I was massively impressed with Sean Kepi. Uh, played 80 minutes at prop, and he did a lot of work. He didn't shy away because he was playing 80 minutes. He made sure he was there, taking a hit up every second set, making rep uh, repeat efforts. He was good. Um, return game for Ethan Parry. Um, didn't see all of his amazing aerial uh, abilities because he was defending up against Lachlan Farr, who's just as big as he is. Um, who else had a good game? Yeah, I think that was pretty much covered it. Um, 
they just, they just went up a, up against a better side, and that's why they ran out eight points winners in the end. Um, so yeah. Yeah, so it should be said, Knights are number one coming into the round, and I think they're number one after the round. So um, the Eels boys have got some work to do, but, you know, it's not the end of the world. Um, on to a very positive result with the uh, under-18 girls, the Tasha Gales squad, getting their first win of the season against the Raiders, running out 42-18 to 18 victors. Uh, which saw Allison bag a try, Alexander bag four. Um, now, I apologise, there wasn't full names in the team list, so um, the next uh, lady who scored two tries was Shaz, and the last one to score a try was Nalika. I've got the the uh, list if you would like it. Oh, you've got the full list. Sorry. Futialo, uh, she scored the first try. Talia Alexander scored two. Uh, Nalika Barker. Sorry if I'm pronouncing these wrong. And Shalia T. Scharf. Uh, and Talia Alexander scored a hat-trick. So, yeah, absolutely fantastic. Um, for the 18s girls there, uh, finally get a win. And, you know, a, a big win, 42-18, to 18, absolutely massive for them. So, yeah, um, there's still definitely that tiered uh, um, uh, ladder positionings. But, um, yeah, so hopefully they can get uh, work off that win and gain some confidence for themselves. And they play the Bulldogs this week, and they're running 10th. So that'll be later in the, pre- that'll be in the next podcast. Yeah, so it should be uh, noted as well that Raiders are coming last last, unfortunately for them, uh, without a win to their name. Uh, but on to something we didn't touch on last week, and our apologies, but the New South Wales Women's Premiership Round 1 commenced. Uh, seeing Wentworthville up against the Dogs. Unfortunately, they went down 72-4, to uh, with the sole try scorer being Pace. Um, so I haven't had too much info on this one, but um, there's, there's, I think there's either seven or nine teams, um, and essentially it's like the reserve-grade premiership but for New South Wales, so the Wenty equivalent. Anybody else have anything to add? No. Oh. No, nah, sorry. No, I, I, I didn't yeah. realise it was on until um, Neither. Yeah. when she was sending out some tweets. So yeah, there wasn't too much information to anybody um, prior to it, and there's some strange teams in there. Like we're coming up against uh, Cronulla Carringbar in week two, um, so there, there hasn't been too much information about the women's premiership. But we'll um, we'll dig into that and see how the girls, uh, sorry, the women go. Um, now on to the final two matches. Uh, which saw the SG ball go down 14-44 to against the first-place Roosters, with try-scorers being Tuamala, Sam and Barnsey. That's what I pulled off the New South Wales website. I'm not sure if those names are correct. <laughs> uh, Tuamala, Brent, Brent Barnes and Sam Hughes, was it, Hamish? I'll let you do the name for the try scorers because um, when I pulled them off the New South Wales website before, it seemed to have like um, their, their Christian names or their nicknames. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure what's going on there. So yeah, again, they completed uh, much better this time. There was still a lot of drop ball um, from them. A lot of just simple drop balls that can't be excused. There was some poor defending from our left edge that um, Egan Butcher, who I believe is the younger brother of Nat Butcher, um, Roosters would know him, and so would South fans, uh, unfortunately for them. Um, 
he just carved up from our right, from right second row and just found a hole every single time. And for Matt Smith, he was isolated, whether that be through um, good attacking structures or poor defensive structures, I'm not really too sure. Um, Matt, Matt Smith does need to fix his defence if he's going to progress any further. He's just, he's sort of, he doesn't get himself in the right position. He's a bit of an arm grabber. He's really, he is small. So, um, yeah, it would be hard for him to do that. But on the positive notes, uh, Brent Barnes had his first, ga first game for the club. Um, signed from Queensland and yeah, he looks good. Uh, at the start of the match, he was sort of uh, a bit iffy with his just defensive positioning and when he needed to come in and ruck the ball out. But by the second half, he was getting in there. Uh, starting off our sets really well. He's a big body, um, but yeah, it's just it's pretty much the same for uh, the Eels and the SG Ball. They they seem to get into a good position to uh, get close in games, and then one defensive lapse or one uh, error in the pack, they've got their heads down and they just have points put on them consecutively. So yeah, I'm, I'm not too sure what's wrong. Uh, with them at the moment, but uh, it, nothing nothing has changed uh, for the past four or five weeks since they lost um, to Penrith. So it's it's unfortunate for them. Um, so yeah, there's there's still uh, good players. Don't get me wrong, John Paul Mora I thought really stepped up. You could hear him. Um, there was only about five, maybe even ten minutes to go, and the Roosters dropped the ball, and you could hear him screaming from the back. Packed a scrum, he was running up, um, telling everyone to make sure they, they um, look positive. Uh, David Hollis had another good game from the bench. Um, he's hard running and just his height, size in defence. Um, Harry Duggan had a good game. Sam Hughes had a, a better game than what he's been having. So, yeah, um, yeah it's just in incomplete sets and I, I not much talk in defence or attack that's uh, stifling this team from being what they can be. So they're now currently and in 8th position, so yeah. they'll have to be better if they and want they can still finals. very much make the finals, but they're, they're going to be fodder if they don't fix things very soon. And given that the issues have been plaguing them for over a month now, it's going to be hard to see them correcting them or rectifying them. And there's only the two week weeks till finals, and of course yeah. they've already had their buy, so uh, some teams... I'm not sure if team... No, there's no buys in the SG ball. My apologies. No, it's in no, Harold. Um, <clears throat> this will be mainly the next poll, but I'll quickly touch on it. I had a look at the other team's draws, the Steelers and the Sea Eagles. And the Sea Eagles play some um, lower-placed teams, but the Steelers play, I think it's Panthers and Sharks. Oh, Panthers and someone else. I'm not sure they play in the last round. So we might be able to scrape in if, um, if we don't uh, have too many points scored against us. Well, yeah, their, their destiny's in their own hands and it's up to them to try and win their last two matches to, to get into the final series. Now, on to a team that uh, whose destiny is certainly in their own hands and they've been uh, grabbing it with both of those hands. This is the Harold Matts team running out 48-6 to victors over the Roosters, which sees the Harold Matts team uh, in first place overall in that competition. Now, do you want to run through the try scorers there for us, please, Ham? Uh, yep. So, Komalafi scored the first try... Um, there is a bit of uh, contention with that try because we're, from where I was sitting, it actually looked like uh, Tua Pilotu scored there, but I'm not going to take any away from that. He's had a fantastic season, so good on him. He ended up scoring three for the game. 
Um, Tennessee scored one. Uh, Tui Pilotu did score two, so that would have been his hat trick. But, and again, um, <laughs> uh, Lachlan Marrick scored. Uh, Simon Tito, who we signed from the Roosters, scored a try. And Sean Russell scored from uh, his own chip and chase, I believe. And what pace he absolutely flew down the field um, to score that one. So, and Sean Russell kicked four from ten. But most of them were from the sideline, so it's understandable um, that only for kicking at 40% there. Um, but yeah, as I said with the first grade, um, attacking about confidence. This team's absolutely flying high with confidence. There was offloads galore. Um, Kyle, Kyle Leonard was taking offloads. Uh, it seemed at will. Uh, Trey Mooney, I thought, had his best game of the year. He was uh, He's always been that workhorse, but he seemed to break the line a few more times. He put on some big hits. Uh, who else had a good game? They all had a good game. Um, Simon Tito made his debut for the club. Um, he's a big boy on the wing. Um, but yeah, I, I can't fault anyone's application or ability in this team. Though. I mean, they're absolutely flying high, so hopefully they um, keep it going. All right. Well, that about wraps it up. Unless we have uh, some final things that we want to uh, get on for the first grade. Were there any final thoughts that we might not have touched on before that have come to mind? Well, I was just going to go back and say that uh, the defensive application was there. Obviously, it wasn't there for the, the previous three halves of football. Um, the attack will come. Um, Corey Norman and, and Moses obviously weren't great in attack. We did have some chances down. I think we had about a five, five or six-minute period on their goal line where we just couldn't crack them. Um, but the defensive application is from there. Um, and we just need to move forward in terms of getting some confidence back with the ball. This this is something that I did they did just jump out at me and it was what I was thinking after the game and I, I didn't get to my whiskey musings until late this week because of a, a busy weekend of my old man's birthday and we had to outfit our new truck for work. But immediately it jumped out at me and then I saw Brad's post match pressure and he like echoed my thoughts perfectly. This was kinda of like the first loss of this sequence that felt like last year where it was kind of like a little bit of bad luck you know we'll sort of just a bit janky in attack and it, one of those days if the ball bounces the right way you jag a win and sort of get on a bit of a roll maybe whereas the the second half against Penrith and the entirety of the Manly debacle that was just like completely out of our control we sort of threw in the towel and it was you know completely the antithesis of how we want to play football whereas this one reminded me of that little ugly loss streak that we had from round three to round six last year. And um, I, I raised the point, but coincidentally, we ended that win, that losing streak last year against the Tigers. Uh, and now we play the Tigers in the, midst, in the midst of this little losing streak. So maybe we can uh, echo a little bit of history there. Yeah, so just touching on that, every team is going to go through these sorts of down periods. We've just had ours at the beginning of the season. Um, things haven't clicked, ball hasn't bounced our way, uh, our defensive application obviously hasn't been good enough in some of those games. Um, but the boys uh, obviously put in a lot of effort in that game, it just didn't click an attack. Um, there's some reasons for that. Again, slow play the ball, uh, short 10 metre line, uh, lacking confidence, and also a lot of positional changes of R back to centre, Hoffman to uh, the left wing, and then of course French was on the right wing outside of uh, Jennings who moved from right uh, sorry, from left to right. And then, of course, Moreau and Kenny Edwards playing on that edge. So, as I think I said last week, whilst there's not a lot of roster changeover, um, positional changes have been huge. 
um, in the first uh, month of football. Um, and and on top of that, you know, just not winning in the ruck. Uh, we've got to be a lot smarter. I thought the Sharks, you know, they played to the conditions. Uh, they they tested the referees early, saw what the uh, what was going to be officiated, and then played to that. And I think we frustrated ourselves at times by. Uh, you know, not getting the penalties. There was a couple of, you know, Jesus moments where the boys are uh, uh, arms out wide saying, why aren't we getting a penalty? Um, you can't control that. And Brad Arthur has touched on those things. You can only control what you can. You can't control whether a ref's going to give a penalty or not, but you have to rise above that and be better. And and once we do that, we're going to get a share fair of possession and we're going to have uh, the ability to put on points, but they've just got to ride this out. Every team goes through it, and it's about how you ride it out and how you come out the other side. Yeah, you don't want to peak too early. I think that's uh, that should be our motto for, as fans. You don't want to peak too early. Peak late. Peak it right at the grand final when we make it and win 41 nil. Yeah, well, it should be said just on the... I mean... The, sorry, without um, that part of it. Um, uh, who was it? Uh, Panthers last year started their campaign 2 and 7... Um, of course, we've touched on Cowboys starting their campaign, uh, their campaign uh, to the grand final victory at 0-3. Uh, so as much as, you know, uh, 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 having social media and plus a 24-hour news cycle, every loss is going to be made to be the worst loss ever. Um, but the boys' application was there on, on Saturday night. It just it didn't come in attack. And that comes with having 40% possession and defending your asses off for the rest of the game. But they need to be better, and they will get better week on week. Absolutely, over 100%. All right, well, I think that'll wrap us up for the review pod. Um, and then we're, we'll go on to the um, the preview pod. Um, now, I'm going to get that out probably on Friday this week uh, due to the long weekend. Um, that sounds fishy. What, why is that fishy? Oh, shit, Jesus Christ, I missed that one. <laughs> I, I did a birdie. <laughs> uh, good old Good Friday shenanigans. <laughs> um, all right, well, everybody, uh, I hope you enjoyed the review pod. Uh, throw us a like uh, or a review up on, on iTunes if you want. Uh, keep in touch with us on the, the Twitter or the Facebook page. And, um, yeah, fingers crossed the boys can uh, turn it around and we'll get to that on the preview pod. So until next time, um, we'll see you then. Thank you.